The Plumley Pod, episode 17. Prepare to lift the lid on all things education, not indoctrination. Your voice of reason for home education. The Plumley Pod. Hello and welcome to the Plumley Pod. I'm your host, Sarah Plumley, and today's guest is Sherry, mother of two teenagers from the UK. She's Indian, married to a Brit, and she's come to talk to us about her Christian faith and what she was seeing in her son's school. Welcome, Sherry. How are you? Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for having me, and I'm fine. Thank you. Really, really good to see you. We've had a little, very brief chat before uh, on a previous occasion. So I'm going to dive straight in because you you had some wonderful things to share last time and it would be really good for our listeners to hear what you have to say. So I believe if I, correct me if I'm wrong, but your son, Sammy, I think he's now home educated and this is a, a fairly recent change. Can you tell us what happened in Sammy's school and how did you come to finish up home educating him? Yeah, so what happened was uh, Sammy was in secondary school and I have to say he was very happy in secondary school and was doing well. However, during lockdown and all of us were at home, we were, as you know, connected from home, doing education from home, working from home, etc. And then over a period of time, we were able to listen to some of the lessons that Sammy was attending. And when I looked into what was being taught, I did realize that some of it was bordering on what, in my opinion, was Black Lives Matter. So it was critical race theory. And then delving further into it, I also discovered some of the lessons, the content within the lessons seemed to be inappropriate for, in my opinion, inappropriate for a 12, 13-year-old child. So that's where it started, Sarah, really, in terms of trying to understand what was happening in schools and what was being taught in our schools. Do you remember any examples of this? I have no experience of critical race theory or BLM stuff being taught in schools because it actually hadn't happened in an overt way. It wasn't as in your face back when I was in the classroom prior to 2015. Although I've seen strange things coming into my classroom before, I haven't actually personally experienced this. Is there anything that particularly comes to mind that you can share from those materials? Uh, Yeah, so at that point, it was more Sammy coming up to us or or we having this sort of within earshot, a conversation about uh, Black Lives Matter and George Floyd and what happened there, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that. And they were explaining, you know, in terms of what happened in America and how uh, George Floyd was killed, which was very sad and we were sympathetic. But the tone of it was more in terms of they weren't giving them the children the full picture of what happened really and how it happened and what transpired in terms of what led to George Floyd being sadly killed. So that was the start of it. And then when, as I said, when I looked further, I came across some biology lessons which focused quite a lot on on things that, again, were not really relevant to a 13-year-old or 12-year-old, 13-year-old, really needing to learn at that point in time. So those were the two things that sort of started us or alerted me to that there is something more going on. And why are they teaching Black Lives Matter? And why is there so much emphasis on it? What subject were they teaching? Uh, pardon my ignorance, but what, uh, please, it's great when my guests can educate me, teach the teacher something. What subject lesson were they teaching BLM stuff or critical race theory in? 
I don't really remember, but I think it could have been in religion and ethics, Sarah, but I don't really remember the particular lesson. And I did question because it, again, my son said, it's an RE lesson. So I said, RE lesson, what is BLM and critical race theory, in my opinion, again, doing an RE lesson. And that's when I realized RE is no longer a religious education, but it's religion and ethics. So I think it was within, embedded within the RE lesson, quote-unquote RE lesson. Goodness. Flesh out for us what religious education used to be like and what's happening. I literally had no idea which subject they were teaching this in. I thought maybe some sort of citizenship or personal and social education, they sometimes call it. Uh, but yeah, they could have hijacked the RE lessons, I guess. It's kind of flesh out for us what ought to constitute some good quality religious education in your mind and then tell us what it has become. Yeah, so in my mind, religious education should talk about religion, various religions, what religion teaches us, the main religions in the world. So you've got Christianity, you've got uh, Buddhism, you've got Islam, you've got Hinduism. So teach them all of that. Teach them moral science along with that in terms of what are ethics. Teach them moral ethics, morality, even things like that. I didn't expect BLM or anything to do with race embedded in religion or religious studies. Teach them the Bible, teach them excerpts from the Quran. Let them have an understanding of all religions, all the major religions, uh, what the sites are, the festivals, whatever it is that you want to cover. But that's, in my mind, what religion is and religious studies, what it constitutes. Yeah, you're not the only person. That's one of the reasons, the main reason I invited you on to talk today is there's so many people are approaching me, concerned parents telling me that things that are happening in, in subjects like RE are completely inappropriate religious education, sometimes called RS, religious studies. Also, it would seem to me that politics is being shoehorned into what's supposed to be a religious education. And I was speaking to a father recently, and he was horrified at his children's lack of knowledge and understanding of Christian and Judeo, uh, I suppose they're Judeo-Christian principles, really. There's an awful lot of crossover, isn't there? But in order to not get too complicated for simplicity for me, I think teaching Christian principles, things that we might, you use the word yourself, wonderful, you use morality, absolutely spot on. Why is this something that's not being taught? You would think that religious education was a really good opportunity to teach children good ethics. You talk there about the ethics of science. Perhaps the ethics of medicine might be quite topical, but in particular, morality. So you've explained what constitutes a good religious education, and you've sort of explained to me that BLM is being taught in BLM principles, critical race theory. I still can't believe that that's being taught in British schools. It doesn't seem, it's something that's been imported from America, is it not? I think it has been imported from America. I haven't done too much research into how it's come into our schools and what the background is. But what I did see, so just moving on from, you know, what I dis- I found or discovered really, once I went, I did approach the school once I did some research on it. And it covered a whole load of issues that I had to discuss. Because as I mentioned, morality, I also then discovered And I digress here, Sarah, but I I just need to make this point and connect it up to, you know, why I mentioned morality. Because along with my discovery of BLM and critical race theory being taught within the religious and ethics class, I also then discovered that 
on investigation, I found things like there's a new relationship and sex education curriculum that was rolled out in 2020, September of 2020. And then when I looked into that, that had a whole slant on modern values and and things that is really for an adult audience. And what we as adults, actually, the entire material was more tuned for an adult audience to challenge them, to get them talking. Not really something that should be embedded in schools, especially in schools which should be safe, a safe environment for children to learn and grow up together. So this is a whole topic that I discovered in terms of what was in the schools. So coming back to the BLM, and I'm sorry if I'm talking at cross purposes, but I'm trying to connect them. Coming back to the BLM element of it, when I did look at the material from the school and when I went and spoke to them, they gave me access to the material. I found a lot of this information in terms of, and it was very much embedded in the teaching within the school, in the manner in which the children were exposed to things like, for example, the new British values of diversity, inclusion, and tolerance. And it was all sort of meshed in together with this idea that we have to embrace diversity, we have to embrace inclusion, we have to embrace tolerance, which is a good thing. And I'm not saying we shouldn't, but there was this slant towards it in terms of diversity. It wasn't diversity of thinking. It was diversity in how you look and your outward, the color of your skin. So children were being taught, you be kind, but that be kind wasn't just be kind should be enough to stand on its own, but it wasn't. It was be kind and it was extended to be kind to people of color. And that was sort of the message that was being given out. And I, as a, as, as you said in your introduction, I'm Indian myself, and I found that incredibly patronizing. I absolutely do not want anybody to be kind to me or to provide me with any indulgences because of the color of my skin. You said it yourself there, patronizing, how embarrassing. It's, it's, I, feel, I feel like I ought to apologize, uh, but I'm not, I'm not into that kind of thing. But it's, it's a disgrace that a, a seat of education is coming out with this utter garbage. You mentioned uh, diversity and, and you nailed it yourself. You said it's about you know, diversity of looks, not diversity of thought. Yeah. The last thing they want in schools is diversity of thought. Correct. They are totally against diverse thinking. Yeah, there's a kind of a, the shackles on academia, there's forbidden knowledge and forbidden questions and forbidden thoughts. And it is absolutely mendacious. It is dangerous in the extreme to not have freedom of intellectual thought and discovery, intellectual discussion. And they they have hijacked the phrase, be kind. Be kind doesn't mean be kind at all. I'm I'm so I'm really am upset that you're having you're seeing this in in school in you know your son's education at his former school. I think that's absolutely disgraceful. Uh, something that came to my mind when you were talking about what constitutes a good religious education, you were mentioning the different types of religion and learning about different kinds of of religion in the world. Great. And um, however, they even ruined that. I was probably still being schooled in this sort of thing about 20, I'm going to give away my age now, about 20 to 25 years ago. And 
the only thing I remember from religious education, and I was quite interested in, very interested actually in religious education. My grandma used to take me to church on a Sunday. I was, I was, I used to go to Sunday school and, and all the rest of it. But the only thing I can really remember is having to make uh, a, a Hindu temple. They had, they made us make a Hindu temple as a whole term project. And I've got nothing against Hindu temples. They're very beautiful. They have uh, interesting, ornate architecture. But my goodness me, trying to make one of those out of toilet rolls and <laughs> cardboard cereal pa- packets was horrific. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. And do you know what? It was patronizing. There I was, a 12, 13-year-old girl being asked to do art and craft, which I wasn't very good at anyway. And it this was supposed to be some sort of religious education, checking out how, how a, a temple ought to be designed. That was, I would have much rather have learned, you know, what Hindus think and, yeah. and, and have, you know, learned about some of their teachings. That's what I wanted to know. I didn't want to know, you know, I've got nothing against architecture, but I didn't want to be an architect. I thought religious education was going to teach me the teachings of those different religions. Now you're telling me that not only have we got none of that taking place, we're, we're talking about... Um, uh, George Floyd in, in RE and critical race theory, but we've also now got se- this sex education coming in. What 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 subject is that in school? Who who teaches that? So that was another whole discovery on its own. So essentially, it's embedded within the RSE, um, which is relationship and sex education. So it is embedded within that. Um, and I think what was interesting um, was a whole a whole topic on relationships. And then because they are also learning um, in religion, they are learning Christianity and Buddhism, and they were covering that in the year group that my son was in. Um, so the relationship side of the RSE set. RSE lesson was linked to religion in terms of you know how relationships are, and that particular element of it focused on homophobia. And what I discovered when I looked at the material that they had, and this is the material they were using in the classroom, which the school was very kind. I have to say, at this point, when I did approach the school with my concerns, they were they listened to to me. They were really. Um, open in terms of allowing us to have access to the material. And after the initial meeting, they did come back. We did go and have a very detailed conversation with them. So the school had been supportive, but I think my understanding is that it is government policy and they are mandated to follow the policy. So just just leave that there and make sure that I've covered that bit in terms of the school in itself. But coming back to the RSC lesson and what I discovered looking through the material, I found that uh, because they were covering just Buddhism and Christianity, so alongside the homophobia lesson, again, I don't have any problems with gays and that side of relationships, if you like. But the Christian side of the teaching had a lot of quotes from the Old Testament, which are actually hardline quotes, etc. So that was being presented to very young children. And alongside that, uh, Buddhism was being presented as the other religion. Now, most of the religions, as far as I know, have similar uh, outlooks on relationships, etc. And all I said to the, the teacher was, whatever you're teaching the children, be fair and be transparent and open. Teach them all religions, teach them the teachings on relationships from all religions, cover all the religions and cover their views on on relationships equally. So the children have a chance to engage with it, um, to engage 
with the truth from all religions, and they can make up their minds. But when you actually skew what you're teaching and you choose and pick what you're teaching, there were no quotes from the New Testament. There were only quotes from the Old Testament. That leaves the children with a very skewed idea of Christianity, of Buddhism, or indeed any other religion, Sarah. And in in this instance, it was only Christianity and Buddhism. How interesting. I hadn't picked that up uh, when when I spoke to you previously, but I do recall you mentioning this uh, last time, that the the way in which they were selecting certain sections of the Bible to make uh, Christianity look bad, am I on the right lines there? Yes, to my mind, yes, that that is exactly what it is. And that's why uh, I think I mentioned, to me, it seemed like it was a completely anti-Christian agenda, uh, it wasn't teaching the children, you know, no, not to be Christian. They were t- almost teaching them uh, or positioning it such that the children would reach the conclusion that they could be any other religion but Christian. This is my opinion, uh, and I'm happy to be corrected. But that's what um, I found when I looked at it. If I was a child looking at this, that's the conclusion I would reach because it is implied can you give us any, um, just for people who might not be that familiar uh, with uh, the Bible, there's plenty of people, there are so many people who haven't ever read any of it now, uh, or even in school, even even back in school, thanks to exactly the kinds of things you're talking about. Which which section, were, were there particular sections from the Old Testament that the teachers in the school were using to kind of highlight Christianity in a, in a negative light? I actually can't recall the exact passages, Sarah, Uh, but there were passages that did uh, portray Christianity in a negative light. I did discuss it with the teacher and also point out that there are other passages which do not portray Christianity like this. Our Ten Commandments, uh, uh, for example, don't portray Christianity as, uh, you know, a very hardline approach to to relationships or anything else. But, um, yeah, uh, I, I can't really remember the quotes. Apologies. No, no, not not at all. I, I wasn't after that, actually. I wasn't expecting you to, to come up, quote, chapter and verse, not at all. What I was after was we're being very, very nice. We're both being very polite about this. And I don't necessarily want to be. Uh, so correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to try and like cut through this and, and, and get in the weeds a little bit, but m- make sure it's clear. So essentially, I think what what might have been happening in school is that they were using sections from the Old Testament where, uh, for example, being gay is an abomination. And they're using that to cast Christianity in a negative light, almost casting Christianity as homophobic. Am I, am I being too um, cynical or am I, am I close? No, that is exactly, you've, you've put it in a nutshell. It was a lesson on homophobia and that is exactly how they classified or they portrayed Christianity. I mean, that to me is absolutely stunning. Uh, you know, I apologise to the listeners for taking me a few minutes to actually get to that because that's what I—that's what I thought you were saying, and I was experiencing a little bit of cognitive dissonance myself because I hadn't imagined that religious studies or religious education teachers would go to those lengths to do a lesson on or a section on homophobia and then use. Uh, only certain sections from the Old Testament in order to to present the case to some children, young, impressionable children. Roughly how old are we talking here? 12, 13, something like that? Um, So it must have been 13 uh, at this point, yeah. 
13-year-old children are being told by an authority figure, an adult, effectively that Christianity is homophobic, full stop, without any kind of balance. Yes. Have I been unfair? No, I think that's what it is, without any balance. And that was my point when I had the discussion with the school. It was without any balance. It was being presented without a balance. Power to you for going to the school and saying, I'm not happy about this. Well done. I'm getting quite a lot of this at the moment. Lots of parents who have like taken a stand and gone to county councils or gone to schools or elective home education offices and said, no, we're not having this. What was the reaction when, when, you, when you challenged the, I think you mentioned you might have actually t- challenged the RE teacher, the RS teacher yourself. What, what, um, what was the reaction like? I think the teacher did say that um, the material would be revisited and uh, they would look at it. And uh, I think some of the material she hadn't had full oversight of it. Um, however, I, given the amount I discovered in terms of, uh, you know, again, with Black Lives Matter, there was a lesson on George Floyd where, as I mentioned earlier, um, the truths, facts were not presented, Sarah. I think that was my biggest worry and concern. When you present things like this, present the facts however unpleasant they might be. Put it out to the children. If you are going, to, if we are going down this route of teaching children these things, then put the facts down and let the children grapple with and engage with it. And we will find that the children will reach the conclusion that they need to reach. And that might be just coming to the truth and realizing that there is a lot more to all of these subjects than they are being presented with in school or led to, to believe. So the teacher said she would look at the material, but I don't know if she did. We went there long enough to see if that did change. Pardon my ignorance again, but um, you, you did mention Buddhism. Now, um, I, I'm not quite sure what they were doing talking about that in a lesson on homophobia. Is it, and again, please correct me because I'm, I'm guessing here, I wasn't in those lessons and I didn't see the materials, but I got the Christianity one, so maybe I'll get this too. It's is the Buddhism, were they presenting Buddhism as a, a better alternative than Christianity? Was that, the, um, was that the reason it was included in that session or not? What do you think? I wouldn't say they were, they didn't mention anything about the Buddhist view on gays or, you know, gay, gay relationships. Um, so I would say if they didn't do that within that lesson, then why... Why would you even present Christianity? Why was it only Christianity? Why don't you put the Buddhism view then uh, there? You're, you're covering it. You're covering relationships. You're covering it in a Christian context. What about the other religions? Put that also in there. Uh, but that the, the Buddhist side of the lesson was all about sacrifice, ahimsa, you know, the, the principles of Buddhism, which are wonderful principles. But those were the only things that were included in the lesson. This sounds to me, maybe I'm just an old cynic. In fact, one of my, te- my teacher did, one of my best teachers used to say to me, Sarah, you have a sense of cynicism far beyond your years. I think it was a compliment, though. I think he kind of liked it. I actually, it sounds to me from what you've what you've laid out here that they were effectively saying, oh, let's do a lesson on homophobia. Homophobia is bad, obviously. And Christianity, Christianity, that's terrible. They're in favor of homophobia. Look at what it says in the Bible. Aren't these Christians terrible? But look at the Buddhists. What a wonderful religion. Look at all these fantastic. Yeah, it seems to me that they've presented Buddhism as, as, the, as the answer this wonderful and and don't get me wrong there are lots of fantastic principles um in in buddhism you don't you don't get lots of buddhists blowing up trains or people or you know i i like i like that about them i do but it does seem to me to be a 
not even slightly, but an absolutely cynical attempt. I, I think I think you said earlier anti-Christian, and I, do you know what? At the time, I thought, oh, maybe that's a little much. But um, from what you've told me, I, I don't think it is. I think that's pretty accurate. I think you nailed it. Anti-Christian. Speaking of which, um, I read that, and I'm I haven't got this wrong. I know I haven't, but I just wish I had. It says here, Stonewall champion school. You've sent me a little email with something about Stonewall champion school. What? I've actually just gone cold because I think I know what you're about to tell me. Pray tell, what is a Stonewall champion school? Yeah, so again, this was a whole new discovery. So when I started down this rabbit hole, I found out that, um, as I mentioned, the RSE new curriculum, and then we we looked into it in terms of just just general. This is government uh, policy anyway. I looked into it, and then we discovered that uh, again, my son's school had signed up to become a Stonewall Champion School. Um, at that point, Sarah, in my ignorance, I had no idea what Stonewall was, so I did do some investigation. My husband did tell me uh, in brief what it was, so I started looking into it. And then I noticed that. Stonewall was providing schools with education material. Uh, So that took me down another path where I started investigating what exactly that material was and then found a whole load of information, which, again, I took to the school, had very detailed, uh, productive discussion, actually, uh, with with the RSC uh, teacher on that. But when I had access to the material and looked through it, while at that point, while I didn't, I have to emphasize, I did not find anything related to Stonewall within that, uh, within the material that they were using in classroom. I couldn't engage really and couldn't accept that our children are being taught uh, as part of their uh, sex education, which is an enhanced syllabus to emphasize. Uh, things like pornography was part of uh, part one of the subjects that, or topics that they covered. Um, age 13 on. Um, the other thing was uh, contraception um, and the fact, and I think within the contraception lesson, the understanding or the expectation that children would need to be an expert in at least two types of contraception. And this is where, you know, uh, discussing it with my husband, we came to the conclusion that a lot of the uh, the content within the RSE syllabus uh, was really for an adult audience, for adult adult material, for an adult audience, uh, and definitely should not be in our schools and should not be taught to children uh, where in an environment where they should be learning. Um, I don't know, learn about, as I said the other day to somebody, learn about butterflies, learn geography, learn about our world. Learn about religion, the principles, the practices of the religion. And I take your point, Sarah, not to be designing temples, but there's so much to learn. Why do 13-year-olds need to learn about contraception? Why do they need to learn about pornography, which was then qualified to be good pornography and bad pornography? And and this is where, um, you know, we came to the conclusion that at this point in time, school is probably not uh, the place we would like our child to go to. I don't blame you. You, I, you poor things. I, I'm stunned. I, I genuinely, maybe I was um, naive, but I genuinely didn't know what pornography was uh, in in my early teens, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Certainly not. 
Uh, it wasn't on my mind. I'm, I'm sure that that probably wasn't the same for all of the students in my school. However, it is not the place of uh, an educational institution to be teaching about pornography. Surely this is the domain of the family, the domain of the parents. But it seems to me that the school is overreaching by a huge amount. This is this sort of thing is entirely up to parents, is it not, uh, dealing with issues like pornography? And contraception is is uh, way more con- um, controversial than it sounds, isn't it? Because contraception actually is in contravention of some religions and some religious beliefs, is it not? Yeah, exactly. And in that contraception lesson, again, it was a lot of it was PowerPoints and stuff, but the, the landing page of the PowerPoint had abortion as one of the pictures. You know, my body, my choice, I think it is, whatever the slogan is. Uh, but that was the the picture on the landing or the introduction page of the presentation. So I did question that because it seemed like abortion was being presented. Again, you put it on and you're showing it to children. And when they look at that and they associate contraception then with a, a, or abortion with contraception, you see, I, these are things that should not be in our school, Sarah, I think. Well, yeah, that, to say the very least. That's yeah, not, to say the very least. Yeah, that's one hell of a bait and switch they did there with abortion and contraception. And contra- you know, contraception again—that's—that is the—that's the domain of, the, of of parents to speak to their children on an individual basis. There are religious issues which the school are not necessarily party to. It's none of their damn business what religions uh, parents choose to practice with their children in the home. I cannot believe that, well, actually, unfortunately, I can believe that they are presenting this stuff to children. Uh, I, I None of this was covered when I was at school. Um, and, and I don't think, you know, we, we did too badly. Uh, we were much more concerned with, with things like reading, writing, arithmetic, and how to articulate when I was at school, rather than yeah. uh, these kinds of uh, political machinations. What I particularly uh, dislike, or, or rather what did make me sneer in, in, the, in that classic kind of Sarah Plumley sneer that I'm sure you've seen, is this whole my body, my choice well, 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 where has that been these last two years? My body, my choice. That's precisely what those of us who wish to choose what medicines we do or do not inject into our bodies or put into our bodies in another way, either via the mouth, whatever. That's exactly what we've been saying. My body, my choice. I choose what goes into my body. So how how can they how can these people stand there now and, and make this all about abortion? Now I, I do not understand. I, I cannot get around. If you're saying it's my decision to have a child or not, I'll have an abortion if I want to, and that's your opinion, all right. But how is it then that the same people cannot accept that I will not have that vaccination because I don't want it? It's my body and it's my choice. Yeah. I don't know. Incomprehensible, I think. What's happening there? Obviously, you can't speak for all of these people, but what what on earth is going through their minds that... They can abort a, a fetus, they can kill a child effectively, and in, in the opinions of many, many people, that that's perfectly acceptable. But you have to take this vaccine for my health. What? Yeah, I don't think they've actually thought about it. They haven't questioned beyond what they are being, beyond what is popular, I think, the popular idea at the moment. And that's what it is. And you can't question, you can't. And that's why I said there is no diversity of thought. So no child in the class would be able to voice an opinion that was diverse. And that's what I took away, because you do have to subscribe to the 
And I think your previous guest last time did say this, but you do have to prescribe to that uh, central idea. And there's only one idea. The latest thing. <laughs> the latest thing, whatever latest. that might be. <laughs> it is It is stunning. Uh, what, what's really surprised me is uh, the kinds of things that you discovered whilst your son was having to learn from home due to the uh, lockdown policy. Let's be really clear that it wasn't due to any kind of pandemic or plandemic. It was to do with policy, uh, the, the government's reaction to the alleged pandemic, plandemic, whatever. It's wonderful that you you discovered these dreadful things that have been going on in British schools. A lot of Brits seem to kind of quite complacently think that this stuff is only happening in America. What you've said, and if I hadn't have spoken to you previously, I would have possibly thought that, you know, you were living in America, that your son was being educated in the United States. This is exactly the kinds of horror stories that I only seem to be hearing from the likes of the US and Canada. Uh, to hear it coming from Britain is... It is sh- it is shocking. I'm I'm I would have thought that this was that, that I was speaking to someone who is is having their children educated in the United States, and isn't that just a a terrible terrible thing? What happens there always comes here, but actually it's here already. It's it's already in our schools. It's already in government policy. Uh, the teacher, yeah. I think you said from the RSE. Just 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 remind us uh, can you, for you again what the RSE stands for. That we didn't have that in school in my day. Yeah, the RSE is uh, Relationship and Sex Education. Relationship, yeah, I got the sex ed part. Relationship and Sex Education. The the sex education that we had was so minimal. It was taught as part of PSE, which was Personal Social Education or something like that. We had one hour a fortnight and most of it was fairly benign. It didn't really talk about, well, nothing. It wasn't very interesting, that's for sure. And it certainly wasn't monstrous as this garbage that's being pumped at children now. What about about your son? How how did he feel about about coming out of school? When did you you broach it with him? So I was talking to him through the summer that, you know, we were looking at schools and uh, we might be looking at a different school for you. So I was sort of, he was aware that we were looking at other things. Uh, and then when school opened, we did, we decided we would go and speak to the school. We'd see what they would say. What is the policies? How, how much of it is government policy? And when I did approach it with my son, I have to say he wasn't happy, Sarah. He 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 understood partially why we we made the decision to take him out. He wasn't happy when we did. However, he has settled into home education. We do have a routine that we go through. He's made a lot of friends. Um, his social life is interesting. He's doing things that he wouldn't have had the opportunity to do if he was in school. Um, he's also very oriented to engineering and design and technology. So he's got the opportunity now to do a, quite a lot of that and at a slightly more advanced level than he would have been doing in school. So. All in all, I think he's accepted and at this point, settling in quite happily or settled in quite happily to home education. That's wonderful to hear uh, straight from the horse's mouth that he has had opportunities that he wouldn't have had had he stayed in school. And you're completely correct about being able to study things to a higher level. The levels are capped in school. Uh, I'm I'm constantly hearing that, oh, making expected progress, oh, exceeding expected progress. But this is all within uh, serious 
limited confines. If you, it only requires what you to look at the kinds of things that are being taught in private schools, some private schools that show you just how far advanced the children who go there get to be and why, because they're able to study things to a much higher level than they are in school. Think engineering, I mean, I, it's, it wasn't even offered uh, uh, when, I, when I was at school. And I know that it's not offered in, in many schools now. And where it is offered, it is extremely limited. And yet they say they're crying out for engineers. They want, you know, they, they, we need, you know, much more people in the STEM subjects, science, technology, mathematics. Right. Well, what, where are the opportunities and why aren't you providing them? Uh, it's lovely to hear that you're, you're taking advantage. What Can you remember what his primary objection or primary objections were to coming out of school? What were the reasons why he didn't want to in the, in the first instance? Uh, I think it was more because he had, uh, he's, he's very sociable, so he had quite a lot of friends. He was making progress in his maths lesson in particular. He liked his maths lesson. I think that was more the main two reasons why he, he didn't want to come come out of school and and of course what would he do at home at that point we hadn't set up you know what we have now so it was only after we took him out we set up uh, all of the other things that he's looking at now and I think we do quite a lot of sport we do a lot of home field trips what we call field trips so he's got the opportunity to go to museums and uh, I don't know things like the royal mint etc so we do a lot of field trips like that. Are you able to take advantage of the discounts because you can go during school days and during uh, term yes. time? Yes, exactly. How wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. This is one of the things that is often missed with home education. Parents don't seem to realise that there are loads of discounts. You can get serious discounts to top museums, yeah. uh, all kinds of, of educational uh, facilities. They love and they really love having the homeschool crowds in because the children are typically much better behaved, the ones that come from homeschool rather than the ones that come from schools. I know I, I've been one of those teachers on school trips with appallingly behaved children. It's extremely embarrassing, particularly when you're not the teacher in charge of the trip. So you're not kind of allowed to take charge. It's very difficult not to. And on some occasions I did step in because the behavior of the children on the school trip from my school was so outrageous. Uh, but the museums and so on and so forth, they really do appreciate uh, the homeschool crowd and they do lay on things. They do. Uh, some places provide for example, free pottery classes, a free taster session, which you wouldn't be able to take advantage on of if you were stuck inside a school. Well, power to you. Well done for, for seeking out those opportunities. Can you tell us about this, uh, his, his concerns that your son is very sociable and he was concerned about you know, losing his friends and then coming out of, 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 that, of the social side of school? It's, it's funny, isn't it? We send children to school to be educated and the bit that they talk about the most is the social aspect. Uh, I think that speaks volumes, actually. But can, what, what, how, how is his social life now? Parents are really frightened about this. So can you tell us about how he socialises? What does he do? Yeah, so I think um, for parents who are frightened, there are quite a lot of things in terms of uh, clubs that have evening sports for example so Sammy's in a tennis club he's in a drumming circle that we attend uh, every Tuesday he's in a in a tennis uh, club uh, the following day on a, on a Wednesday um, we do bible studies and youth clubs in our church over the weekends we do a lot of uh, you know going to to museums etc and as I said the home with the home education we have we've made a whole load of friends so they go out at the weekends or during these field trips. We've done Haynes Museum, I think the Car Museum, we've done one of those. And you you do meet um, 
children from different age groups, which is quite nice. So you do have that opportunity to play with children who are older than you, who are younger than you, and the opportunity to look after each other and learn from each other. I think that is actually quite invaluable. And I've noticed when we go on these field trips, uh, the older ones tend to help and look after the younger ones and uh, and make friends when they see somebody who doesn't have, who's standing on their own. I've seen children walk up and speak to Sami and invite him to join them. And those sort of skills, uh, they might learn it in school. But here, as parents, you do get the opportunity to see your child being able to make friends with other children, being being kind to other children without the without the pressure of worrying whether they are being kind in the right way. There's no right way to be kind. And I think that's very evident uh, when we go on the field trips, etc. How wonderful. A natural, organic, beautiful, genuine, original kindness that is innate. Children, children are born with innate kindness. They don't need to be taught to be kind. How wonderful to hear and that you that you've witnessed this. And this isn't. This does not happen in schools. Mixed age groups are segregated at school, and in terms of peer pressure, you don't go and talk to somebody in the year above or somebody in the year below because you'll be laughed at or you'll be teased or you might even be bullied for that kind of behaviour. In schools, you're um, pressured to stay within the confines of your year group, and that's actually not normal. That's not normal social behaviour. At no other time in your life do you only spend time with people who are within 12 months of your age. It, that's not, that isn't actually normal social behaviour. And the kind of bullying that goes on between uh, children in different year groups, like older children bullying younger children, that doesn't happen with the home ed crowd. Because as you've just beautifully de- uh, depicted for everybody, they help each other out. The older ones will help the younger ones because you know they can see that they're struggling with something that's more difficult perhaps, uh, or they need to get over a style and they're kind of small. It's, it's really, really lovely to witness genuine cooperation and, and the kind of protection that older children really ought to be providing for younger ones, helping them out, looking out for them. And as you say, approaching people who appear to have no friends or they're on their own on this particular day, just you know, being able to go over to a child of a different age and say, hey, you know, can we hang out? Can I do that with you? Would you want to come and join us? Then they're learning how to behave like real young men and real young women, how we would want our young adults eventually to behave. And that's absolutely fantastic that you've, it, it, it must sound like I planned it and I told you, I, mean, I gave you a script and said, hey, say this, it, sound, it makes home education sound great. But, you know, you just, you just absolutely captured what it, what it is all about. And what frustrates me the most is that parents seem to think that losing their friends from school or or not being able to socialize at school will be the end of their child's social life. In my experience and the experience of the parents that I work with, it's the beginning of their social life and of a much better real social life that's grounded not in um, age groups uh, and and classes and and different sections within a school, somewhere where children have to go unless they are officially unenrolled or deregistered, whatever. But they're actually making friends with people who have similar interests, like tennis club, drumming circle, Bible study. They're making fr- real friendships based on uh, based on choice, not based on a, a building that you have to be in five times a week or else. Yeah, I think rich friendships, actually, Sarah. I would agree from what I've seen. Friendships grounded in something real, something wholesome, something that's, that's that isn't, you know, created by the state and basically enforced you know you you will make friends within your year group it's 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 
it's fake. The, the, the socialization at school is fake. How many, I mean, adults know this from their real life if they think about it. How many people are you still in touch with uh, that you would consider to be firm friends from when you were at school? My number is one. I have one friend from school. And if truth be told, we became closest of friends actually during sixth form uh, and university beyond school. We, We were friends in school, absolutely. But we became firm friends when we hit about 16, 17 in sixth form. I mean, did you have like tons and tons of friends from your school days? I did have tons and tons. And now that you mention it, I don't have anyone. I'm not in touch with anyone from my school days. And I grew up in India, so my education was very different. Uh, We had none of this. We had no uh, sex education at all. We had religious education because India has diversity in everything uh, and almost true diversity in everything. And we didn't have any, uh, you know, um, any socialization was very different. We could go across year groups. We didn't have the pressures that my children seem to have now, Sarah. It's very different. It was very different. Yeah, my heart goes out to you. What kind of influence do you think social media is having on our young children and teenagers? So in this space, I think it's probably having a very detrimental effect. Having said that, my two children... I controlled it quite heavily until they were, uh, Sammy was 13 and my daughter, I have an older daughter, until she was about 14 or even 15 before she was had access to social media. I think 14 looking back. Um, so I don't have that much more experience or, or knowledge of it and the detriment and the effect. I know it's detrimental, but my two my son especially has no access. So, for example, he has Snapchat, but not, nothing more than that at the moment. How wonderful. That's one way of dealing with it, is it? Isn't it? Well, we're, you're not doing it at the end. Very good. Yeah, There's the no problems there. I, I salute you. I wish there were more like... I don't know any other way. Well, I don't blame you. You know, I think with something so dangerous, you're completely correct. Not only is it dangerous from a, a social and peer pressure point of view, but it is highly addictive. And they employ the, the top uh, social media giants employ people in order to make their apps and their uh, whatever you call them, their your, your social media feeds, they deliberately go out of their way to make them addictive because they want you to spend as long as possible using their platforms. So it's already been disclosed in court cases in the United States that they actually employ psychologists and top experts in order to uh, suck your, in order to create devices that keep your attention and keep you uh, sort of locked in your social media. It's, it's really a fake reality, isn't it? A virtual reality, which is fake, a fake, a fake life. So how, how wonderful to, and refreshing to hear that we have teenagers, fully rounded teenagers who have friends, who play tennis, who drum, who do Bible study, who help others out, who go to museums, who do not have this virtual reality uh, you know, in, impeding their progress. And in some cases, it, it can be devastating, can't it? I, I've heard um, stories of, you know, children taking their own lives all because of online bullying and, and things that happen uh, via these uh, internet chat rooms or particularly, I have to say, it's the social media um, uh, areas. It's absolutely appalling. And and that 
parents just allow their children to do it. They come up with some lame excuse saying, well, everyone does it. Well, isn't that a good a good enough reason to not let your children do it? Do you want your children to be like all of the other children? Because I certainly don't, not from what I'm seeing. I wouldn't want my children to be anything like the, the average child uh, in, in the street these days. It's just just take a look you know down your local street and 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 think to yourself hmm do i want my children behaving in that manner or do i want something different for my children power to you well done yeah i have one final um, question uh for oh go on and i i, I was going to invite if, if you had anything more so yeah if you if you something to say i've got one more question for you but if you want to go ahead and and, and dive right in please do I just wanted to add, we do have an Xbox, and I, I just mentioned that because uh, that's the other place where Sammy does socialize with his friends. And they do play, and he's got friends, I think. He made friends in other countries, so uh, who we, we have met in the UK, and then they've gone back. So he does play with them on his Xbox, just to say, in terms of the social media. I'm not sure if it counts as social media, but that's what we also do. Oh, and, and how much control do you have over what games he plays? <laughs> I've, I've got to ask A lot now. of control. <laughs> well, he, he, I know what games he does play or he has access to. Um, and I do control, I can't remember, War. there's a particular game which I've said no to because I think he's too young still. So he doesn't have access to a lot of games, Sarah. He has access to some of the games that uh, a lot of the children are playing at the moment but not all of the games that they're playing. Well done, you. That's absolutely brilliant. It's a relief to hear that there are parents out there who are taking charge of what games their children uh, may play and may not play. Uh, and it is a kind of social media, isn't it? If they're being social and it's a form of media, then yeah, absolutely, playing on the Xbox is a form. It, it can, can be described as a, a form of social media. Wonderful. Well done, you. I get... You know, I get some criticism from some parents who say that, oh, uh, you know, you're too authoritarian, Sarah, which is <laughs> completely stunning to me because as a teacher, yes, there is an authoritarian aspect, but that's because of my role. I My job is to uh, deliver information, to help facilitate children's learning, to teach children how to think, how to figure something out, how to solve a problem. Uh, not necessarily, obviously, what to think, but how to go about it, how to how to tackle things. And there is an element of um, authoritarianism that is required, but so too it is of parents. It is your job. It is your job to be an authority to your children. Children are not born with self-discipline. Ch children are born pretty helpless, actually. They need to be clothed, they need to be fed, they need to be hugged, they need to be cared for. As they become older, they become more and more self-disciplined and rely less and less on the discipline of their parents. But if there is no discipline whatsoever, then how can children be expected to learn self-discipline? From where will they learn it? Parents are children's self-discipline. Parents are the discipline. They're in charge of their children until they reach such an age and a level of competence that they they have developed uh, you know good habits for themselves and, and healthy ways to live. And power to you for having those traditional values and 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 being that authority. And you know it's. It's not authoritarian parenting. Parenting is at least 50% of it by its very nature authoritarian. It's half of the puzzle. It's too, you have to have the loving and the caring side. Of course you do, but you also have to have, you have to be an authority. There has to be some discipline there. And, uh, you know, it's so lovely to hear that, that parents are doing it so, so well. Uh, it's really, really encouraging for people like me who care very much about the education of young people and, and their welfare and their development. So, you know, society is telling you that 
you know, uh, being in charge and being an authority figure is bad and that children have rights and children, they're completely inverting and, and subverting the, the, the traditional role of parents. And, and well done to you for, for not having it and for saying no to all that. It's, it, it must, do you feel, do you feel social pressure from, from other parents or from uh, family members? What, what, what do they say about, about your parenting? I think some, a combination really. I think some parents, uh, some people do think we are too strict and it's both me and my husband, we are quite strict. So they do think we are quite strict. My children certainly think we are quite strict. But my daughter who's older has now realised that when we need to be strict, we are strict. There is discipline when there needs to be discipline. And I think she's appreciating what we've done or our approach to discipline a lot more. So it's a hard balance. It involves quite a lot of shouting sometimes. <laughs> Nobody ever said it was, it was going to be an easy job, right? Parenting is tough. It is a, it's a massive challenge. It's one of the ultimate challenges of life. And, you know, it's, it's, it is really great to hear that uh, young, young people do eventually turn around and say, do you know what, mum, dad, thanks for that. I appreciate what you did for me. It's not about being their, their friend. You've got, you've, got to do the res- you've got to be responsible first. Friendship hopefully comes later, in, but it's a, it's a different kind of friendship. It's a special kind of friendship. You're, first and foremost, you are their parents, and that is a very, very special role, very important role, and, and you know one that ought to be respected from, from, from all sides, really. And Good for you for for standing up for it. And I think I think this day and age, if you're classed as a strict parent, I think that is a massive, massive badge of honour. So you should wear that really, really proudly. And I am going to um, uh, uh, wind up here because I've 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 mined you for, for lots of information. There. I'm really, really grateful that you've come on and and, and taught me quite a lot of things uh, that I was really not aware of that are happening in education. And the fact that they're already here in the UK is probably what's uh, hit me the hardest. I didn't realise they were quite so uh, mendacious and and, and so far-reaching into the the domain of the family. Schools have no business being there. I find that really uh, offensive that they are, you know, forever invading the the privacy and the integrity of the, of the family unit so good for you for standing up for it uh, standing up to it and not not having any of it i'm really a really a full of full of praise and and, and very proud that that you know there are people out there who are who are doing this and are doing the right thing even though it's tough so thank you very much indeed for for educating me this evening is there anything that you would uh, like to say that you you didn't get chance or I didn't ask the right question or the, is there a, something that, that you wish to leave us with I think the very last thing just to uh, to say to Sarah I think the new values that are being taught is um, all the things that we are looking at are diversity, inclusion and tolerance. Those are the things that come up most these days. But what I think is tolerating, under this guise of tolerance, we are are being taught and conditioned to tolerate the intolerable. And that's where we all collectively should stand up and say no, because that actually is tantamount to cowardice. It's not tolerance, it's cowardice. When we can't stand up and say, we will not tolerate this, we will not tolerate what is happening to our children in schools, we will not tolerate this dilution or inversion, as you mentioned, of things of good and bad, that is actually cowardice, it's not tolerance. So we should stop uh, praising ourselves for being a society that puts emphasis or celebrates, let's say, diversity, inclusion, and tolerance. 
I think that's really important for all of us. That is beautifully put. I I definitely can't top that, so I will not even try. We are being trained and conditioned to tolerate the intolerable, and this is cowardice, not tolerance. Thank you very much indeed for joining me, Sherry. I really, really have learned some things tonight. Um, I I appreciate you and all that you are doing, um, and I I hope you will come back and and let us know how how your son is getting on with his home education in the not-too-distant future. Um, Thank you very, very much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Sarah. Take care. See you soon. Take back your individual sovereignty and that of your family. Visit sarahplumley.substack.com and subscribe for free to stay up to speed with all things education, not indoctrination. 